This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate the premiere of Falcon and the Winter Soldier as well as 80 years of Captain America, we're taking a deep dive into one of my favorite modern Cap stories. So join me as I put the Geek Explained spotlight on Chip Zdarsky, Butch Geese, and Carlos Magno's Invaders. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is the latest edition of our Geek Explained Spotlight series, where I put the Geek Explained Spotlight on a specific comic, graphic novel, limited series, or whatever, and talk about why I love it so much. And this month, we're celebrating 80 years of Captain America. And to do that, I wanted to talk about a book that I don't think enough people are talking about. Uh, In 2019, there was a limited series called The Invaders, uh, reviving an old World War II era Marvel super team featuring Captain America, Bucky, the original Human Torch, Namor and others and we got a really solid 12 issue maxi series from the creative team of Chip Zdarsky, Butch Geese and Carlos Magno and for the life of me I don't know why people aren't talking about this um so that's what we're gonna do for this week's episode we're gonna be talking about that book why you should read it and why it is an excellent choice to celebrate 80 years of Captain America stories. We also have our brand spanking new weekly review with a little bit of a Falcon and the Winter Soldier revamp. More on that later. And of course, we have this week's comics countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. We're going to kick things off with miscellaneous news. Uh, One piece of video game news here this past week, we had the Square Enix Presents showcase where they were basically showing off the things that they had cooking. Uh, Also, a big, I think... uh, Probably the thing that I was looking for uh, the most was some Marvel's Avengers stuff. I have been struggling to really stick with this game, y'all. I, um, I'm trying my best. But uh, this past week, to kind of coincide with um, the upgrade to PlayStation 5, as well as the release of the Hawkeye Future Imperfect DLC, Square Enix showed that off, showed off some of the things you could unlock, showed off some of the improvements uh, from the PS4 to PS5 version, and also gave us a look into what comes next for the game. Now, we've got different events and little things here and there, but the big thing that I think everyone, myself included, was looking for is what's the next character? Where where are we going next when it comes to like story DLC? And they showed off a little teaser with the Black Panther. Black Panther is finally coming to Marvel's Avengers this summer. 
alongside a brand new story DLC entitled The War for Wakanda. So I'm really excited about this. We got a little um, voiceover from Ulysses Claw, so we're going to be getting some stuff from him as well. Should be a good time looking forward to this, and hopefully... They start to uh, bring some characters out more regularly going forward. Hopping now over to comics news. One piece of comics news that I really want to talk about because I know next to nothing about it. Um, Amazon basically leaked some news that I don't think any of us were really expecting. And that is that uh, Grant Morrison is going to be writing Superman again. That's right. Grant Morrison will be joined by Mikel Janine and Jordi Belair for Superman and the Authority. Now, this is the first time that I can think of off the top of my head that uh, Grant has written for Superman in a while, and I love their take on Superman. I always have. I always dig into whenever I see their name on a Superman uh, adjacent title, and this looks really interesting. It definitely looks like it's going to be spinning out of this uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson Superman um, run, more on that later, uh, but he's got, like, the great temples, he's got a, you know, kingdom come looking emblem, he's looking very much more, um, what's the word, uh, early 2000s Superman? <laughs> like, if there was a, if there was a Superman movie that was trying to go in the same vein as, like, uh, Daredevil and X-Men films from early 2000s, this is the costume that I would expect to see, but he's going to be joined by what looks like Manchester Black, OMAC, uh, Natasha Irons, it looks like, Midnighter and Apollo, as well as Enchantress. So this sounds like an awesome team. It's a fantastic creative team. Grant Morrison, Mikel Janine, Jordi Belair. They're all wonderful, and I cannot wait to see if this is a real book. <laughs> uh, the listing on Amazon went up for a hardcover in November. So I would assume that we're going to be getting news about this fairly soon, but we'll just have to see, and I will keep you updated on that. Hopping now over to TV news. Two pieces of TV news here. First off, want to uh, throw up a big hip hip hooray for Invincible. The Invincible animated series premieres this Friday, and I could not be more excited about it. I have been waiting to really dig into this. I've been catching up very slowly on the comics, and I'm absolutely loving it. And I can't wait to see uh, Mark Grayson take the stage where he should be in the mainstream. Uh, Steven Yun is also playing him, and as we found out this past uh, past week and a half or so, he is now nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor. Uh, what a year Steven Yun is having. I'm very excited for him, I'm very excited for Invincible, and I cannot wait to watch this show. We are also uh, getting a brand new Kate Kane over on the DC side of things. Uh, Batwoman this past week, basically with no fanfare, revealed to the audience that Kate Kane has officially been recast. Uh, Ruby Rose will not be returning to the role, and instead, Kate Kane will now be played by Wallace Day. If you uh, aren't familiar with the name, she was previously in Krypton, where I thought she was fantastic, and I'm excited to see this new version of Kate Kane. Um, as far as we know, we, you know, Ruby Rose put out, you know, 
something on Twitter basically saying, good vibes, really excited for you. Um, and I guess this is going to be a Kate Kane who has been changed by the accident at the beginning of season two. So interested to see where they go with this because Javisha Leslie is now, you know, this Ryan Wilder Batwoman. And the showrunner for Batwoman has clearly said that the recast was going to happen, but instead of just recasting Kate at the beginning of the season, decided to have a whole new character step into the role. So I'm totally okay with that. I'm interested to see Wallace Day uh, put her spin on Batwoman, and we'll see where the show goes from here. And then finally in film news, two pieces of Marvel film news. First off, I think the big news of the week, the one that kind of took everybody by surprise, is that Black Widow, we all know, is releasing in theaters on July 9th, and now we know is also going to be premiering on Disney Plus the same day. They're doing that premiere access thing where it's probably going to be like $30 or something, but um, this is going to be peace of mind for a lot of people who either... um, don't have access to the vaccine, like they're not able to get vaccinated yet, or for people who just feel really nervous about going back into theaters, like I do. So um, this is really exciting. It's probably going to be the only DC or uh, Disney Marvel film that does this, because as we also found out, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings has been delayed to September 3rd and is still being listed as in theaters only. So we can assume that this is going to be a one and done with Disney Plus and the theater releasing at the same time. But I still think that's great. We have been waiting for this Black Widow film for over a year at this point. So I'm excited to see where they go with this. I'm excited to finally watch this movie and hopefully it doesn't suck. <laughs> I know, you know, Marvel kind of feels like Teflon at this point, especially with all the great, great stuff they've been doing with WandaVision and now Falcon and Winter Soldier. But I have been uh, cautiously optimistic about this Black Widow film because I don't know exactly what they're trying to accomplish with it. So I'm still very excited to watch it. I will be probably watching it at home on July 9th, and we will just have to see what Black Widow brings to the table. But that is going to do it for the news segment for this week. And speaking of Marvel Comics, that is going to bring us right on over to the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, of this week's episode, which is the latest Geek Explained Spotlight on The Invaders. Greatest generation of Marvel heroes is back to stop one of their own. This is the latest in our Geek Explained Spotlight series, where pretty much every month I talk about a comic I really like. Pretty self-explanatory, I think. Um, this month we are covering Chip Zdarsky, Carlos Magno, and Butch Geese's 
Invaders series. Also known as Always an Invader, if you're looking for like this collected in a hardcover or just any collection, I think at this point, it's going to be listed under Always an Invader because it includes the... 12 issue maxi series along with a uh, Namor the best defense one shot that kind of kicks things off with this but I want to talk about the invaders for a second before we get into the story before we get into this I want to talk about the invaders because as you know if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time you know that I am a huge sucker for the Justice Society the Justice Society is one of if not my favorite superhero teams of all time comics DC Marvel whatever and I always wished that there was a Marvel version of the Justice Society running around in World War II doing the things that normal people couldn't and Marvel's got me covered here because the invaders are technically the World War II team for the Marvel Universe and I say technically because of a reason that we're going to get into but before we get into all of this, before we get into the story itself, I want to give you a quick bit of backstory because it is going to help you understand why this book is so freaking good. <laughs> um, so I'm going to kick things off way back in the distant year of 1939 with a company, a burgeoning comic book company called Timely Comics. Now, Timely Comics was getting ready to ramp up into its next phase of comic books you know we're starting to head into what would be considered and is still considered today to be the golden age of superheroes of comic books superman had debuted the year before batman had debuted that same year and was just killing it over in detective comics so timely comics wanted to get in on this superhero gig and so in october of 1939 they released marvel comics number one which saw the debut of not one but two superheroes the first superheroes into the marvel universe the first of which being namor the submariner now i'm sure you've heard of namor now and again mostly that he's a dick and that's true he absolutely is um but namor is a very interesting character because he is um for layman's terms uh marvel's aquaman he is a half man half atlantean uh superhero also known as the world's first mutant as well or at least marvel comics first mutant uh give or take a an apocalypse or two but he was he was uh he made his debut in Marvel Comics number one, created by Bill Everett, who is writer and artist for his story, and he was immediately set up as an anti-hero. He was fighting for the environment, he was fighting for Atlantis, and he was fighting against the, uh, pretty much everyone that dwelled on land. Um... Most of his early stories would be him just like laying waste to different cities and different corporations and stuff like that for threatening the environment, threatening the oceans. But in that same book, we also saw the debut of the Human Torch. No, not that one. This Human Torch, created by Carl Burgos, uh, was an android named Jim Hammond, who had all the same powers as the Human Torch you're thinking of. But he was an android created by a scientist to essentially give the world its first superhero. And these two were the kind of the star attractions, though you wouldn't know it in their first... Uh, in their first 
comics. You know, they palled around, they were doing their own thing, and they had never really crossed paths. That is, until Marvel Comics number 8 the very next year, in 1940, which predates the official Batman and Superman crossover in the comics, which is in 1952. That's right. Marvel Comics had the first superhero crossover in storyline uh, pretty much of either company. Now, uh, just because I know someone's going to mention it, uh, Batman and Superman did appear alongside Robin with um, I believe it's World's Best Comics, but that was just on the cover. They didn't appear in the actual book together. So, the Namor versus Human Torch story in Marvel Comics number 8 was the first time that two superheroes had really crossed paths. And the two of them, of course, battled at a carnival, at a fair, where basically Namor was trying to sink it because he's a dick. But... The two of them gave Marvel, or Timely at the time, eh, um, a lot of success. You know, they got into the superhero gig. They were still, you know, producing their mystery and pulp hero comics. But the rise of superhero comics was upon them. And pretty quickly, they realized that they needed a new frontrunner. Someone to give to the timely comics readers that would be able to complete the the trinity that they were looking for to match the Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman over at their competition, at their distinguished competition. And so in 1941, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby created Captain America, the new kid in town, alongside his partner Bucky, and he was ready to fight for America just as the U.S. started to get involved in World War II. Now, during this time, during the time of uh, World War II, lots of, you know, American propaganda comics, lots of Captain America comics, Namor, um, Human Torch kind of fell out of, uh, not like into obscurity or anything, but out of the spotlight. They were never focused as heavily on as Captain America was because he was the superhero that was needed at the time. But... In 1946, a uh, year after the United States and the Allied forces won World War II, Bill Finger, that's right, that Bill Finger, alongside Vince Alasha, Al, Al Avizon, I'm so sorry, uh, Bob Powell, and Sid Shores created the All Winners Squad, with a roster consisting of Captain America and Bucky, the Human Torch, and his new sidekick, Toro, Namor's Mariner, The Wizard, and Miss America, this group was brought together for post-war espionage stories to fight against the remnants of the Nazi threat and really to get themselves set to combat any kind of Red Scare that would soon be coming on. Um, this was a team of heroes that came together and were fighting for U.S. interests post-war so we didn't really have like a distinct team during the war when it came to uh superhero comics uh timely comics later on with the uh, with the institution of marvel marvel comics the marvel age you know 
people started to look back at the time of uh, Timely Comics and the early days of the Marvel Universe being built out. And in 1969, Roy Thomas, Sal Buscema, Bill Finger once again, and Martin Goodman came together to tell the story of the Invaders. This took essentially the roster of the All-Winner Squad and bumped them back a few years, basically retconning the All-Winner Squad as the successor to this group during the war, comprised of these superheroes and other superpowered individuals, to fight against the Axis powers. This original Invaders team consisted of Captain America and Bucky, Human Torch and Toro, and Namor. Later on, the roster would expand to include Union Jack, a British uh, spy hero, his daughter Spitfire, Miss America, and of course, the Wizard. The Wizard. Um, he's a okay. I'm just real quick. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. He doesn't show up in this comic, but I, I just I need to tell you, he's someone who got super speed after being bit by a mongoose. That's all you need to know. We're never going to talk about the wizard again. I just need you to know that. So anyway, um, the invaders were essentially retconned in the pages of the Avengers book to be a team that fought against the Axis powers during the war, but were kind of fading into obscurity until they were all brought together once again to fight um, some more modern threats, or modern for 1969, of course. And then as the years kind of went by, Namor went through all kinds of different character changes, mostly him being a dick. He was a CEO of a company. He was part of the X-Men. He was all over the place. Namor has gotten around in more ways than one. And Captain America who was the new kid on the block, again, during the All-Winner Squad era, um, was frozen and subsequently thawed out during the mid-60s, during the Marvel Age, and joined the Avengers, while the Human Torch really kind of fell into obscurity with the um, debut of the Fantastic Four and their own Human Torch, Johnny Storm. And as the years went on, this team really, um, even though it did get certain revivals here and there, they never brought these characters back together to have like a... Um, a reunion special, if you want to go by like reality TV terms. Until 2019, when Chip Zdarsky, Carlos Magno, and Butch Geese came together to tell a 12-issue story about the Invaders, which, as we know now, is, has now been retroactively titled Always an Invader. But this story really brings together the original Timely Comics trilogy trilogy timely comics trinity and puts them back in the spotlight with new context which i love um of course you know i was going to be a sucker for this as soon as they announced it but it is an incredible story and i want to quickly just mention uh the main team here that really kind of drives the story forward chip Zdarsky. you know how good chip Zdarsky is i sing his praises all the time but Chip Zdarsky has such a unique voice for each of these characters, each of this uh, timely trinity, and I just, I love it. I absolutely love it. The way that he's able to craft a story that feels world-ending while still feeling incredibly intimate is fantastic. And Carlos Magno, his art is something that I'm usually not a huge fan of. I like more stylized 
art, like your Chris Somnies, your Doc Shaners, but his art, which is very much based in realism, captures the spirit of the story, captures the spirit of the characters. And since this is essentially, for all intents and purposes, this is a post-war story, I think it's perfect. His art perfectly accentuates the story and brings a certain amount of realism and life to these characters, helping them to essentially leap off the page. Now, speaking of these characters, the story really, again, focuses on our three leads, which are Captain America, Namor, and the Human Torch. And at the beginning of their story, at the beginning of this story, they're all in very interesting places. Uh, Captain America is just is basically fresh off of Secret Empire, where he's come back, he had to deal with all of the fallout of this Hydra cap essentially wearing his face and trying to essentially taking over the U.S., and he finds himself back with the Avengers, but still finding himself out of place again. This is a country now that he used to represent, but is now more or less shunning him and he has to win back their support win back their trust when it comes to the human torch he's retired the human torch jim hammond is retired and he is focusing at this point on writing a tell-all book about the invaders getting testimonies from people they served with and really just settling into civilian life unfortunately when it comes to Namor, the Submariner, he is probably at the worst of them when it comes to their place at the beginning of the story. Namor is full-on Mad King in this story, and this is really, if I had to pick one, this is really a Namor story out of the three. I would argue that all three are important. I would also argue that the relationship between Namor and Steve gets a lot of play, especially in the back half of the story. But Namor really is our lead. We get to see things from his perspective. We get to see where he's going, what he's doing. And Namor at this point has rejoined Atlantis. He is uniting all of the kingdoms under the sea, even the ones who uh, count themselves as enemies of Atlantis, for something. Uh, at this point, he's already run afoul of the Avengers because he is declaring open war on Roxxon, which is, I mean, a terrible company, yes, but they're also, you know, a civilian company to all, for all intents and purposes to the greater world. And so he has been declaring open war, just attacking them, which has, of course, drawn the eyes of not just the Avengers, but also the UN, multiple world governments. And so Namor is at a tipping point. And right around this time, he's also being advised by a mysterious Atlantean named Makan, this red-haired, blue-eyed, enigmatic character who seems to be advising him and giving him all kinds of info, all kinds of insight that he doesn't believe that he can trust or share with other people. And at the beginning of the story, we are getting ready for war. We are getting ready for a war that hasn't been seen in a very long time. Atlantis is essentially declaring itself, you know, against the world. And we are looking at this situation, this constantly escalating situation through the eyes of these three post-war heroes and bringing these three characters together steve namor and jim having them all to they sound so i just realized like 
Steve, Jim, and Nabor. Um, Captain America, the Submariner, and the Human Torch. Um, bringing them together for the first time in a very long time does not um, go well. As tensions escalate, as we start to see that Namor, there's something wrong. There's something off with him. And during the course of the story, we get essentially a secret history for Namor. We get this awesome kind of a retcon, kind of just filling in the blanks of Namor's history post-World War II. We find out that during the war, he was very close to this soldier named Tommy. Uh, it's implied that they were a little bit more than friends on more than one occasion. Uh, it, You know, it's never outright said, but the, the clues are there for sure. And at a certain point during the war, Tommy was killed during, in battle. And this shook Namor to his core and basically put him not really in the right mind for the rest of the war and post-war. Following the war, he ended up um, settling in with this family called the Petersons. Randall Peterson was a soldier who served with him, his daughter Nay, uh, who he named after Namor because Namor saved his life. Um, he settled in with them because he was having a hard time adjusting after the war, like many veterans do following uh, combat. And though he could, you know, he found some semblance of peace, he was able to find his, you know, island in the middle of the world where he could stop worrying about the rest of the world. He was unfortunately called back to Atlantis right around the time that the All-Star or the All-Winter uh, Squad was being put together and the Petersons didn't see him again. The next time they saw him was years and years and years later. And at this point, he had s suffered from amnesia. He was suffering from amnesia. Something had happened. And unbeknownst to them, he had run afoul of this terrible, just awful, I'm not even going to mention him supervillain, but the important thing about him is that he used something called the Serpent's Crown, which messed with Namor's mind and gave him amnesia. And somehow, through this amnesia, through his mind being, in his memory being wiped, Namor found his way back to the Petersons and stayed with them, and at this point was helping to raise Nay's child, Roman, who was also named after Namor. Namor, Roman, backwards, yeah, you get it. So during this second lease on life that Namor received as his memory slowly trickled back to him, he was found by one Charles Xavier. And Charles Xavier, at this point, was young man Charles Xavier. Still got his legs, his shiny bald head, and he's like, hey, you're a mutant. I'm also a mutant. This is, I'm assuming, either pre-Magneto or post-Magneto. Probably pre-Magneto, I would say. Um, and the two of them uh, basically were like, hey, let's go look for more mutants. And so... There's this whole, like, saga that we didn't know about where Namor and Xavier were traveling the world looking for mutants. And during this time, they 
ran across this mutant called Genus or Genus, uh, who could change the species of anything. There was this ruckus going on in this small town that drew Namor and Xavier there. And once they got there, they found that the whole thing was these naked people who were acting like dogs and cats found their way into the town. And it was very strange. And we found out that this guy, Genus, was essentially taking these animals and turning them into people because he wanted friends. But he had, of course, freaked out this town because mutants weren't commonplace at this point, and he was killed. He was shot dead by the police, which sent Namor into a rage, and as he began to very severely injure, if not kill, these police officers, Xavier froze everyone and dove into Namor's mind. He told Namor that, look, I have been holding you back with your anger for a while now, but we need to figure out what's going on. Something is broken in you, and I think I know how to help. And he brings this this mental projection into Namor's mind of Tommy. And he sits down, you know, they're basically sitting in these, like, therapy chairs, and Xavier's like, this is your friend. I know he died, but you trusted him and he can, and you can talk to him. You can trust him with your problems, but something snapped inside of Namor at this point because it was both his fractured mind and his, um, all the terrible things that have been done to his mind at this point, alongside with his post-war trauma that broke something. And this, what was once a mental, just a mental projection of Tommy in his mind for him to talk to and confide in became this second entity inside of his mind. And this entity, as we came to find out, is Makan. So Makan is just a mental projection that Namor hallucinates and talks to. It's his, it's his Tyler Durden. And following this just fracturing of his psyche namor escaped from charles uh ended up getting amnesia again it's very namor gets amnesia a lot and he wouldn't see charles again until the modern marvel age and when he you know returned to the petersons because he always found himself back there he again helped to raise roman but with a very different um approach teaching roman essentially to hate the surface world and to believe in atlantis and the underwater kingdoms and so this was i think for me a huge part of what of what gave me a better appreciation for Namor as a character. Because over the years, I've really just looked at Namor as like, oh, it's that dick who's trying to steal the Invisible Woman from Reed. Like, that's essentially what I understood about his character over the years. And of course, reading other stories, reading other books, I got to learn more about his character. But that was really what it all boiled down to. Um, But this book does a fantastic job at recontextualizing Namor as a person and giving him this Mad King saga really does elevate him for me as a character. Uh, And all of these incredible flashbacks are juxtaposed by other flashbacks 
to the war where we see the invaders in action. And all these flashbacks, by the way, are drawn by Butch Geese. Carlos Magno does all of the uh, modern day stuff. Butch Geese does all the flashback stuff. And I also really want to give some props to Alex and I know I'm going to say this wrong, uh, Alex Guimarez, who is the um, the colorist and does a fantastic job in uh, differentiating the modern day and the flashback sequences. It's so good. It's just, it's everything. But the flashbacks that I want to focus on include Namor's interactions with the two star-spangled heroes, Bucky and Cap. Um, his interactions with Cap deal with the two of them feeling out of place even during the war. You know, Namor is an Atlantean. He's half Atlantean. There are no other people like him above or below. And he is dealing with feeling very alone, especially following the death of Tommy. And Cap, as we come to find out during a flashback, is also afraid of what his life would be like after the war it's that classic uh, steve rogers trope where it's like you know what would you be without a war to fight how can a soldier you know live in peacetime and there's this really cool flashback where uh they won a really um a really momentous battle. They've got 10 days of leave and everyone just goes home except Steve. He's planning for the next push for the next attack. And Namor's like, what are you doing? Like we're, we're done for like 10 days. And Steve confides in Namor and tells him like, I have not been home since the war started. And I have this picture in my mind of what home is like. And I am afraid that when I get there, it is going to have changed. And I want to hold on to this piece of uh, my home as long as I can, because that's what I'm fighting for. And this is, this really touches Namor, who basically tells him, okay, fine, we won't go to, you won't, you don't want to go to your home, come to mine. And he brings Steve to Atlantis and the two of them, you know, just hang out and have this vacation and grow closer as friends. Namor also has some flashbacks with Bucky, the two of them feeling like we are the people who understand that, yes, we want the world to be better, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we won't have to get our hands dirty to make it that way you know Bucky during the Brubaker run was recontextualized as being this black ops arm of Captain America's fight during the war you know stuff that Cap couldn't be seen doing Bucky was the one who was sent in to do this and so it's just uh it's so good and the two of them bond over their shared worldview the idea that you know evil men are doing evil things and ruining the world and we are going to work together to fix it. And this carries over into all of the modern day stuff. You know, at this point, Bucky is full on winter soldier mode. He has, of course, you know, gotten his mind back. He is doing his own thing, but he has lived many lives in the same way that Namor has. And in the same way that Jim Hammond, who is the human torch has been forced to during the early days of the conflict or the early you know uh conflicts in the story jim is forced out of retirement because he has to follow this thread of trying to figure out what happened in namor and why he is uh being so uh crazy 
for lack of a better term. And as we come to find out, you know, Tommy McCon, the this mental projection that is ta- that has been given life is essentially like forcing his way into Namor's business. Um, there is a point of no return during this story where a staged missile strike is uh, basically changes the whole landscape of the of this war that Namor is waging on the surface world uh, in more ways than one because we come to find out that Namor has uh, uh, sent agents of Atlantis and had them infiltrate not just the UN but also the US military and they have developed a uh, a uh, some kind of neurological agent, this kind of a gas that is able to change the species of people from human to Atlantean and vice versa. And you come to find out that this is because the body of Genis was recovered uh, thanks to the memories of Namor and the scheming of Makan, who has been acting through Namor over these years. And this... I guess could explain some of his more um, some of his more crazy uh, dealings over the years, and I think it it works to a certain extent. You know, all these times where Namor has become somewhat out of character and done things that doesn't really match for him. That was Makan. Um, we come to find out that Namor has no recollection of these moments when Makan takes over, and during this whole like. Um, end of act two, like big bombastic thing happening. Uh, Namor beheads Jim. He's an android. He's okay. He'll live. Uh, but also stages this missile strike from the U.S. military on Atlantis so that Atlantis would have cause and public support to return fire. And so they sink a coastal town and use their um, their neurological agent to turn all of the inhabitants into Atlanteans which is just crazy man it is ugh, it is it's wild just to read to watch see these changes these people like suffering as they their skin turns blue and they suddenly can't breathe air they have to breathe water and this group of people who are sunken in this town become called the sunken they are this group of people who are um, essentially take it taken in by Atlantis while at the same time trying to get support from the UN. And during all of this, all of this is firing up, Makan officially takes control of Namor. During the course of the story, Namor is starting to fight back against Makan, realizing you're making decisions for me, and that's not what we agreed on. And Makan takes control of Namor with the serpent's crown that he has uh, acquired through his connections with Atlantis. Uh, We find that Roman has been raised again to hate the surface world and love Atlantis. And so Roman is this high-ranking military official who has infiltrated the military, helps to stage the missile attack, and then is turned into an Atlantean and basically made into Namor's heir. And using the serpent crown... Makan wipes uh, Roman's mind clean and jumps in and takes over the body of Roman. So now Makan is Roman. And at the same time, Roxxon w- declares war on Atlantis. So all of these plates are spinning. All of these things are going on. And to make matters worse, 
Makan, now that he is freed of Namor's body, uses the uh, uses the gas to turn Namor into a human and strands him and Steve on this desert island hundreds of miles away, which gives us this really nice calm before the storm moment where Steve and Namor get to hash out all of these feelings that they've had over the course of these years. We also get a really cool uh, sequence and a flashback where we see fairly recently after Cap is uh, thought out by the Avengers, he meets Namor. Because Namor is involved in the thawing of Captain America. You know, the Avengers are chasing the Hulk into the Arctic, and they come across Namor, who is terrorizing this um, this uh, community, and they are, like, worshipping this, uh, this figure who's frozen in ice. Namor breaks the ice open, and it ends up being Steve Rogers. So... They have been intertwined for most of their, if not all of their career together. And we get this cool meeting between the two of them where, you know, Steve is basically talking to him like, I am, I guess, an Avenger now. Like, I've been out of the ice for maybe a week. The war was yesterday for me. And Namor is like, the war is always yesterday for me. And they have this conversation where the two of them talk about, like, I can't believe it's you, like we've been away for so long. And they make a promise that no matter what happens, when evil men try to do evil things and believe that they are going to uh, rule the world, that they have an agreement that once an invader, always an invader. And they will come together no matter what. And as we find out that the main uh, goal of Makan is to use this agent that they've developed to turn the entire world into Atlanteans, as well as use this, uh, this fault line deep underneath the ocean to flood the world using this machine. Uh, the invaders finally are able to come together alongside all the remaining uh, members of the roster. Jim Hammond gets this sick new uh, body, thanks to Tony Stark, and they go off to fight Makan and the rest of Atlantis. And it's it's great, man. It is so cool just watching them come together, working together, really for the first time in a very long time. Um, Jim uses his human torch powers to destroy the machine that is looking to flood the world. Um, Cap and Bucky and Spitfire, who does make an appearance, uh, as well as Namor, take the fight directly to Makan, controlling Roman's body. And Namor is able to push through the programming and the... um, the serpent crown's influence on him to defeat Makan once and for all. And instead of killing him like he would in any other situation, Captain America is able to convince him to basically say, look, he did a lot of stuff and you are obviously blaming yourself a lot. Do the right thing here. Don't kill him. Turn him over to us. Let him face punishment for his crimes. And Namor leaves. And so we get this really quiet ending to the entire story where we see uh, Steve, Bucky, and Jim sitting in this bar. 
uh, having just having a conversation about everything that's happened, their wartime, um, their wartime adventures, what you know they think Namor is gonna do, and Steve tells them that like Namor's a good person, like deep down, like he's a dick, but he is a good person, and no matter what, you know he's, and I think the quote is, you know, he's been a a king, a mutant, a hero, a villain, but to us, to the men in this room, to those who served with him, he is always going to be an invader. And what this really speaks to, and the reason that I love this story, not just as a cool Captain America story, not just as a cool Invader story, not just as a cool Namor story, is this story is a celebration of Marvel Comics history. This is a story that encompasses what Marvel Comics means, hearkening back to the timely era, really celebrating a monumental um, history, a monumental continuity all the way through Marvel Comics, and is also a story about trauma. You know, Namor suffered a lot, and he has dealt with a lot of the same things that many veterans deal with coming back from the military, coming back from active service, dealing with trauma, dealing with PTSD, and not being able to handle it. And this went a long way to get me to say, like, yeah, Namor is and always will be a dick, but he's also he's also a complex character. This is a story about friendship and the and your found family. You know, the invaders are this team of people who were brought together during a very harrowing time. World War II was a time unlike any other before it, and they came together under tenuous circumstances and became a family over the course of a battle or essentially in the middle of a battlefield. And that is always going to tie them together, no matter how different they are, no matter how uh, far their paths take them from each other, they will always be um, a family. They will always be brothers in arms and they will always be invaders. And as some, as someone who um, puts a lot of stock in my found family, um, the people that I have met along the way, the people who I trust, the people who I have, um, who I have uh, performed in shows with or been on set with or um, done voiceover with, like that meant a lot to me, you know, stories about the family you choose is are always going to hit home with me and this is no exception so basically go read this it is an incredible story that absolutely is worth your time um i would say go back check out you know the rest of the stories that are mentioned here uh other stories that i would probably recommend um the new avengers illuminati uh, story is great. The um, Brubaker Cap run is amazing. Uh, go back and read some of those classic Marvel, you know, Marvel era stories in the mid to late 60s. And it is very cool to see a story like this take all of that into account. And that's something that I, you know, Marvel has a benefit with that it's never like truly rebooted its stories. Um, and this story is again about trauma it's about friendship it's about you know how far you are willing to go to save the soul of someone you care about and at the end of the day you know we all deserve that chance we all deserve to know that no matter how far we may fall no matter how far you know 
our trauma and our life experiences may take us, that there will always be a family there looking out for you. There will always be people who believe in you. There will always be people who will trust in you. And there will always be people who look at you and say, once an invader, always an invader. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. Except this time, it's a little bit different. The weekly review segment is going through a bit of a project rebirth, you might say. Because this time, we are kicking off our coverage of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And looking at this, looking at the solicitations, looking at the concept of this, it's supposed to be this high stakes, almost buddy cop, Marvel property. And I didn't want to do this alone. So going into the season premiere and going forward in the weekly review segment, I am going to be joined by a very special guest, a, I would say, recurring contributor to this podcast by now. I think he's earned that title in the credits, and he is the Sam Wilson to my Bucky Barnes, Malcolm Joshua Russell Nelson. Malcolm, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I am absolutely here to be the Falcon tier winter soldier. Let's do it. I'm very, I'm very excited to jump out of a plane with you. So we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. get to that. No, that that's, that's going to be no the last one. No that's going to be the here. last episode. We're just going to do it. And we're going to record a podcast in the, in the air. Listen, Eric, I have a plan. <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> so the way that we're going to kind of do this, um, just kind of in the same way that I did with uh, WandaVision, we're going to give you a quick the story so far so that you know where Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes are kind of at going into this show. Um, first off, Malcolm, how excited are you to be talking about the show, man? Thrilled. Thrilled. I've been excited for this since the day they announced it. Agreed. Uh, I, this is this was the one of these that I was the most excited about, and then it just kept getting more exciting for me. <laughs> of them saying, and Malcolm Spellman, they're gonna have a brother who's you know gonna be writing it, and they've got one director, and it's gonna be a six-hour movie broken into six parts, and it's I I'm so excited. Yeah, it's it's almost like breaking a really long movie into multiple parts will allow them to be digested a little bit easier especially if it naturally has those breaks and not, you know, suggesting that you could watch this thing as a one long piece, but you could also watch it in parts, but there's no natural divide for those parts. Hypothetically, They're, of course, hypothetically, hypothetically we're of talking course. completely and just, I mean, if that was a thing to happen, you know, that would be awful. That would be an awful viewing experience. Yeah. Otherwise. Cause I mean, so, no one needs that long to tell one story. Especially if you've already heard the story once or twice before. Exactly. Absolutely. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Of course. Of course. So the Falcon <laughs> and the, <laughs> the Winter Soldier. Uh, we're going to kind of track real quick just so you, the audience, know exactly what's going on with these characters as we're going in. And we're going to kick things off with my favorite film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that being yeah. the Winter Soldier. Captain America, the Winter Soldier, not only introduces us to Sam Wilson, the Falcon, but also reintroduces us to Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier. 
names in the title. He's a little important. And little basically important. what brings them together is Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers, who is dealing with the uh, effects of being in ice for almost, what was it, 80 years, something like that. And he yeah. is dealing with a lot of stuff in this movie. He befriends Sam right at the same time as his old best friend comes back as this like Terminator style, like uh, assassin terrifying threat. Yeah. Yeah. And even though they don't really like cross paths very much in this film, if at all, I think they don't really ever like physically go one-on-one -on -one with each other. Their, their, um, their effects on Steve and their um, effects on the narrative are felt even past this film, you know, mm -hmm. by the end of the film, Falcon has been recruited. He and Steve are going to go off and find Bucky, who is starting to get his memories back, and he's starting yeah. to remember who he was, not just the weapon that he was uh, turned into by Hydra, which brings us to Civil War. My favorite MCU movie. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to uh, keep doing the, the, the musical <laughs> intros. <laughs> Take that, Henry Jackman. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that takes us to Civil War, which uh, in the aftermath of Avengers Age of Ultron, which comes in between them, uh, Steve is now leading the Avengers team. And Sam is not not I wouldn't say number two because Natasha's number two on that team, but he's number three. Like he's I mean, they're, they're the best friend squad uh, to steal that from She-Ra. Uh, so uh, and then that whole movie really becomes about Bucky. Uh, Bucky gets framed for a terrorist attack that he did not commit. Um, and Steve and Sam are teaming up trying to go save Bucky. They wind up saving Bucky. It's a whole thing. Uh, man, it's, it's just really bad. Uh, I mean, Sam goes to jail for Bucky, to be fair. Uh, to be fair. Gets arrested twice for Bucky, to be fair. So there's a little bit of animosity there, but that's also the first time we get to see them really interact together. Uh, Sam naturally doesn't trust Bucky, you know, because, uh, you know, the last time he saw him, he was a murderous terrorist. Will you move uh, your seat? And so they have a little bit of animosity between them. That that bit is so good. Between that and then the the fight with Spider-Man is unbelievable. So the, good. like <laughs> them, starting with them like running in the hall and seeing Spider-Man crawling on the wall. And he's like, what the hell is that? It's like everybody's got a gimmick now. <laughs> my so that's good. that still has one of my favorite spider-man moments when uh bucky throws the whatever it is at him it's like hey you i just think hear, you lost this. yeah it's like hey i think you lost this <laughs> bah! like that's such a like a new york response to that it's that and like him uh blocking bucky's punch he's like you have a robot arm dude that's so cool <laughs> like and he's talking to sam he's <laughs> like wow like how Sam's like, I, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight before, but they're not usually this talkative. <laughs> like, it's great dynamic. Uh, and that leads to the wonderful moment of the, why didn't you do that before? And uh, I hate you. <laughs> like, they were meant to be together. And it, it's funny hearing Kevin Feige talk in interviews and stuff about, like, after seeing their dynamic in Civil War together, that was how this show was born. Yeah. It was like, mm -hmm. oh, I immediately want to see more of those two together. They have dynamite chemistry. Um, yeah, it was, which it was is awesome. lightning in a bottle for sure. Lightning in a bottle. Did you did you see the this is a weird detour. Did you see the press tour thing that they were talking about? About how like which for, one? for 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 Winter Soldier, uh 
I guess like Sebastian Stan wasn't like super talkative and press tour stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the behind the scenes people at Marvel were like, oh, put him with Mackie because Mackie will get him to talk because Mackie gets anyone to talk. And so that's the first time that they started like bouncing together. Yeah. And then they incorporated that with Civil War because they're like, oh, wow, they have really good chemistry together. And then here we are now. Well, yeah, and that and every, totally shows every like presser like since Civil since War, it's always the it's two always of the them. two of them. And they're and always why. bullying Tom Holland. And I love uh-huh. that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Mackie's the weirdest bully in general. He <laughs> is. He just And he's constantly bullying Tom Holland. And it's just like for no reason. <laughs> and I kind of love it. But like. Uh, but yeah, so that's Civil War. Yeah, which brings us a couple years down the line to Infinity War. Infinity yeah. War was the next time that these two crossed paths, though, again, just like barely Barely, together. yeah. Because during this time, post-Civil War, Cap was on the run with Falcon and Natasha, the best friend. Secret Avengers, own. baby. Uh, I, I wish we could get like a, like now that we're in the golden age of Marvel TV shows, like we could get like a flashback with the three of them on the run. I, so good. I, I'm going to talk about that a little bit in a minute. Okay. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Um, so basically, <laughs> three of them on, are on the run while Bucky has been on ice in Wakanda and then following mm-hmm. that treated by Shuri to kind of get rid of his uh, his program. All the programming. Yeah. And he's been just living the nomad life. Just like one-armed Bucky just walking around in his little hut in yeah. Wakanda. The the most peace he's ever gotten in his entire life. (laughs) And unfortunately it does not last because the next time that Bucky sees both uh, Sam as well as Steve, they're bringing war to their doorstep. Um, I will never forget the feeling of him just being so quiet and at peace. And they go and they drop a briefcase in front of him and it pops open in the (laughs) arm and you just see the sadness in his face. He's like, where's the fight? Like, cause he knows he's like, that's one of my favorite moments in that entire movie. I think that's one of the best moments So in a movie that I don't love. I don't love infinity war. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. I I don't love infinity war. I I think it has problems just pacing wise. We'll have to talk about it someday, but uh, yeah, we'll have to talk about that sometime. But yeah, yeah, I I think that's such an amazing moment. It's so good. And then that kind of leads to the war of Wakanda where they're defending against the black order as well as um, the outriders. And then Thanos shows up, he snaps and both Bucky and Sam get dusted, which I remember being in the theater and just gasping at because I, I figured the snap was going to happen, but I did not think that they were going to be part of it. And so the Sam one is really disappointing too, because that's like, he disappears while he's like on the ground, right as like Rhodey is walking up and calling Sam's name, looking for him. Yeah. It's so disappointing. Like <laughs> super disappointing. At least Bucky got like a nice little moment with Steve. So yeah. Yeah. So they get dusted, and then that is pretty much the end of their story until until Avengers Endgame, when everyone gets blipped back. The blip, as we're blip. just now calling it. Um, you know, everyone gets snapped back by the Hulk uh and they rejoin the fight at the end i mean the first time you it's maybe the greatest moment in the marvel cinematic universe and it all belongs to falcon uh as cap is about to cap is the last person to fight everybody on thanos's team and he's there broken shield he's beat to hell and he hears in his comms like steve you there hey steve on your left 
and then cool. that's when the portal opens and that's when you get uh t'challa and sherry and okoye walk out and then the next portal opens and you see falcon just crest over the veranda and then all the portals so open. like it's it's literally the best moment in the entire franchise it's it's an incredible moment but i love that that belongs to a really great joke that introduced Anthony Mackie's Sam Wilson. Like, I, I think that's a wonderful moment. And that really cements that friendship in a really interesting way. Absolutely. Um, and I can't say, that's great. I, I work in a restaurant and I can't say on your left now without thinking that. Yep. I do and it all the time. It's, it's so good. It's so hard. I do it all the time. Yeah, it's great. Um, so then you have that giant fight. Of course, the heroes are triumphant. And then you have the, uh, I guess, arguably the second best moment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the end of the movie where Whoa. Steve goes back in time to return all of the Infinity Stones back to where they belong. Uh, he's supposed to be back in like five seconds. They switch the machine and he's not back. Uh, now, hot debate, but I fully think that Bucky knows what's going on. 100% he knows. Absolutely. He absolutely, there is no question that he doesn't know. And so sure. Bucky walks off while Sam that's is why he says, I'm gonna miss Hulk. you. Yeah, like, exactly. And that's why they do the whole like, don't do anything stupid because that yeah. was the last time that they thought that they would never see each other again. You know, like it, it makes complete sense. Absolutely. So I, I hope they actually like say that in this. Yeah, show I it, that has to happen. That has to happen, especially with what happens at the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. That has to happen. There has to be that conversation. Um, so, you know, Bucky walks off a little bit and sees that old Steve is sitting there and tells Sam, like, hey, Sam, go ahead. Like, it, it's for you. And Sam goes and old Steve gives him the shield. Yeah. And it's the moment that I'm choking up a little bit right now thinking about it because yeah. it's the moment that every time I see it, I cry. Same, Same. every single <laughs> time. It's something I, I never thought I would see that in live action. Yeah. I never thought I would see that. And it's beautiful. It's it's a beautiful ending for my favorite character, Steve Rogers. And it's a perfect beginning for Sam Wilson, who honestly, movie Sam Wilson earned it more than comic Sam Wilson. Earned it. And makes Absolutely more sense. he did. Like he makes more sense as Captain Ray. And I love, again, go back to the Tale of Two Captains episode One of my uh, in the speed. So you can just good. scroll right back up. Um, you know, I, I love Sam Wilson. You love Sam Wilson's cap. Like he's a great Captain America. Absolutely. But movie Sam Wilson makes so much more sense because he was a soldier. He's, you know, military born. I mean, it, it just makes sense. And he seems he seems like he's been trained like behind the scenes to be the next gap. Like Absolutely. it's almost like Steve trained him to take his place. Yeah, he's he it, it makes it a lot in, of sense. Um... I think he says it in Civil War. He's like, I do what he does. Just, I do yeah, what he does, just, just slower. Just slower, yeah. Like, That's in Winter Soldier, yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's and great, it's, you know? Yeah, and and their whole, like, yeah, it just, it feels earned, it feels right, and that sets mm -hmm. up the idea that we are going to get a new Captain America. I mean, Marvel <laughs> was real coy when they announced Falcon and the Winter Soldier with a bogus logo that showed both of their logos before yep. Endgame, and then they drop Endgame and they say, just kidding, here's the real logo that shows the Is new a logo? shield, uh -huh. the whole thing. But, and it, but still called Falcon Winter Soldier. And that was very telling because and that was a very telling thing, because as we come to find out in this episode, all is not as we thought it would be post endgame. So let's just dive into the episode, man. So it in. kind of it kind of kicks off in this really quiet and somber moment where, oh, my God, Sam I is love like it. packing up 
some stuff. He's, you know, putting on a suit. He packs up the shield. Correction. And, Sam uh, is ironing his shirt to put on. <laughs> and I love there is as a black man, 100% only a black man would iron his shirt before he puts it on to go out the <laughs> damn door. My God, I have done that exact thing for church so many times in my life. It's not even funny. Like, <laughs> so I saw that and I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, they got this right. They got this right. <laughs> so forgive me so he he irons his shirt he puts it on <laughs> puts the suit on packs up the shield and goes out and then we cut to i thought a fantastic sequence uh where... maybe one of the best action sequences in the yeah, mcu absolutely one of the best involving sam wilson especially involving sam yeah rocking a new suit which i love i love, I love that it design. it's the best suit he's got it's, it's best so suit he's good had. It's a nice tribute to the comic suit, to the specific, like, the white with red trim comic suit that he it's, had it, in, it's uh, no, you know, no, like, Brubaker era. It's no green and gold deep V, but I'll take it for now. Mm, I want to see it, though. <laughs> I want to see it. I want to see that beak is nose. Like, <laughs> he is going out. He is doing his thing. Also, the wings have gotten a revamp. They're more feathery yeah. looking. I love this design. Perfect. Yeah. Pitch perfect. It's beautiful. Design. It's and awesome. He's going after basically this hijacked plane and who's God. who is on the plane? It's Patrick <laughs> the Leaper. When I my mind was blown. I was like, no way did they get that truck. When they awesome. said, because I because I found out like last summer, I was like, it, it leaked or something that like Batrock's coming back. I was like, okay, when's he gonna come back? That's awesome. And they pop him oh right in the god. first episode, and I'm like, oh yes. my god. Though the I first episode say. has like three cameos that I was not expecting. Sure. <laughs> like we, so Batrock. I will say I was a little disappointed. Like when you know Sam busts in, he's like. Knocks him out guys. first. Yeah, he gets him. Everybody's like jumping out. And I was really sad because they, they had a pitch perfect moment for him as he's like getting out in his little suit to like look at Sam and just go leap and just leap out of the plane because that's what he does he leaps but, out of the plane but, but he did the but he did the smile like he was thinking it he and was so thinking i'll take it. that I'll he take was clearly thinking like when he put the when he put the helmet on right before he closed the visor he gives him like the smile like the <laughs> you know it and i know it here we go but yeah such a great sequence and i want to point something out here and i'm I'm sure you clocked it too sam's getting a little bit of help sam's got a buddy and this Uh buddy goes by the name torres and i am waiting for them to say joaquin torres it it, it is yeah he is credited as joaquin torres is he okay good so i had no idea that that character was going to be in this i didn't either and he's my favorite in the whole episode. I love Joaquin. He was great. I was. I but love like, him. <laughs> they never referred to him as Joaquin, only as Torres. Yeah. So I got yeah. worried that they were doing that like phase one Marvel thing where they're like, oh, we're going to tease it, but we're never going to say it. Right. But that's where at that's the end awesome of the show, he'll be like, hey, what's that. your first name? And you're like, Joaquin. And he'd be like, ah. You know, no, they're, they're going to be like, hey, <laughs> what's your first name? He's going to be like Falcon. And Falcon. then the credits roll. <laughs> But like, but no, and for those of you who aren't aware, again, Joaquin Torres is the is the second Falcon. He is the one. The all new Falcon. The all new Falcon. Um, Again, go back in the archives. We talk about him during Mm -hmm. our Tale of Two Captains. Um, He is Falcon while Sam is Captain America. So I love that they brought him in for this. And this guy is whoever's playing him. This Danny Ramirez guy is perfect. I thought he was he was perfect. 
like just perfect casting for this guy. I've I've and never the, seen this dude before, but I I love him. version of this character for this version of Sam. Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. in the comics, the makes complete again get, military kid. Yeah, like makes complete sense. Absolutely, because like the in the comics, like the version we got for him is perfect for the comics version of Sam. And here yep. they did the exact same yep. thing, recontextualizing him to fit the narrative, and I love that. Yeah. Um, and now he's, I mean, he's borderline, like, you know, going to call Sam on the hotline. Yeah. <laughs> and we just, Sam we took just, us in a hotline, man. <laughs> what, what's, what's the quote? What's the quote again from the, it's like, call the hotline. Uh, yeah, like, take it to the hotline. Take it to the hotline. Yeah. Take it to the hotline. He took I'm it to the hotline. He did. I love he it. Did. Multiple times. <laughs> Multiple times. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, so we get to see, um, Batrock again we get to see new Joaquin Torres and then we get a very interesting sequence where uh Sam's at the Smithsonian and he's Uh giving a press conference and I and maybe I'm silly for thinking this I'm like okay this is his coming out party this is where he announces he's going to be Captain America this is where we're going to see it and it's not what happens he gives no I was expecting what happened I was I was expecting this tell us about it tell me what you were thinking I I was expect going into this, knowing about who shows up at the end, right. like knowing that that character is going to be in the show. I was like, okay, the whole thing is going to be Sam giving up the shield and then realizing that it truly is his right. Yeah. He he because you know, and there's a, after that ceremony, there's a great scene with Rhodey, who's another guest yeah, appearance. Awesome, like Rhodey. love that. And there's a great scene with Rhodey and Sam standing in the exhibit talking, and Rhodey's like, listen why didn't you take up the mantle and sam says you know when when steve first told me uh he asked me how it felt and i said it felt like it belonged to somebody else and that somebody else is steve like yeah. we we don't need this right now like this is this is his like i i'm not the person to take it up and i think the whole journey of this and him specifically working with bucky is to get him to the point where by the end of this he will be Captain America. Like he will realize that he is exactly what is needed to be Captain America. This is his trial by fire. This right. is denial of the call for, yeah. you know, for writer folk. This is a <laughs> classic trope. Like, so I, I fully expected that was what the show was going to be. I think um, I just expected it to take longer. Like, I guess I expected him to like have it for a little bit and then it kind of fair. the government take it from him rather than him uh, kind of giving it up. I guess you. Yeah. But like, but yeah, I think like you said for all the reasons you already stated like it makes perfect sense and it's yeah. such a dick government move to be like yeah just give up the shield put it in the exhibit just put uh-huh. it in the exhibit that's where it'll stay uh-huh. psych as soon as that guy said to sam like hey thanks for coming forward with the shield it was the right thing to do i was like Ugh. he's a racist he's a racist <laughs> yes, he was like it's the right absolutely. thing to do boy like you can Ugh. hear it at the end of his sentence <laughs> Oh, that gives it makes sense that he's the one at the end giving the press conference. Yeah, of makes course. complete sense. Some and Smithsonian I'm, I'm goon. For like, what the hell? And, and, and I know that they already named him probably, but I'm like Del Rusk, you son of a bitch. Ooh, <laughs> but, but who knows? But who knows? We're, That's interesting. We, we, we already know that theories aren't going to be as wild, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But um, but this then the aerospace to... engineer. That's who he is. You mean uh, Adam Brashear? Uh, <laughs> still makes me check, so mad. Check out on the subject podcast for what that reference is to. Oh, um, mad. But yeah, so, and then we get to, I thought, a 
killer sequence, both literally and figuratively. Great action sequence. We pop over to this random guy who's like on or like at a conference and he's like, nah, I'm not going to go and have a drink. I got to go to bed in and some we, bougie, like foreign hotel. We don't yeah. know where this is. We don't know when this is. And we see this like guy who was definitely going to be part of the tracksuit mafia and the Hawkeye series flanked <laughs> by these guards. And Oh my God, the coolest way to, to intro this sequence you just see an arm go out grab one of the guards pull him through right through wall, a painting and <laughs> i'm like oh oh bucky's been busy and yeah he has because this is a winter soldier flashback he yep. busts through looking i think as jacked if not more jacked than he was in winter soldier like, he he looked maybe a little more built. jacked than he did in winter soldier like, he looked which like is a, hilarious like because is in for listeners who don't know like in winter soldier sebastian stan got jacked like yeah, more so than he was supposed to to the point uh-huh. that they had to refashion the arm prop uh-huh. on him multiple times because he just he kept, kept busting out of ass <laughs> i just i love that it's it makes it makes me so happy but yeah he just that, rips that design is guys. so good too like yeah. they i mean it's it's very much the design from the comics but the addition of the muzzle mask is so good so and it is such a good character shot yeah it's and it's great just, it's terrifying he rips through the through these guys like straight up winter soldier fight choreography uh mm-hmm. just quick note like all of the fight choreography and this is stunning uh i love the the opening sequence the fighting that sam does mm-hmm. if you look at his him fighting crossbones and winter soldier to this he is clearly trained with steve oh yeah. because he has a lot of steve's moves and like the fluidity in his fighting it's amazing like you it's can tell the that kicks. they sparred together and like it, it, it's so cool to see the <laughs> bit where he like grabs the guy uses his booster a little bit to like uh-huh. propel him forward and he knocks the guy out in like the crate is so sick so like, freaking cool <laughs> that's care so yeah the fight choreography is amazing so far yeah and this this scene is no different because bucky just or excuse me winter soldier just rips through these guys yeah. like one by one by one and it was so interesting to watch him burst through this door with this guy and just go hail hydra and like snaps his neck and snap his neck oh drops God. him and then we see that poor that poor guy just trying to get into his room and he just couldn't and it was it's that classic um can't get your key in the car door mm-hmm. trope where he just he yeah. couldn't do it he was too scared and he just whips his gun out and then we get a cut to current day bucky barnes haircut and all looking fresh mm-hmm. looking good great haircut great haircut i've wanted this for a while same because I, <laughs> I don't like the messy hair because <laughs> for those of you who aren't aware he didn't have that hair in the comics until Winter Soldier came out. Mm-hmm. And then that's the only hair he's had since. That's then. the only hair he's had since. And it drives me crazy. I drives hate me nuts. It. I hate it. Give him uh, the haircut, baby. <laughs> and this, and he looks great. And he's going he to therapy. Like, yeah, I I love that. I love everything about Bucky Barnes and the MCU. Like I just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, it makes so much yeah. sense. 
I, I think it makes complete. It's funny. I have a friend who watched it this morning and texted me. I was like, I think it's really interesting that they've made Bucky go to therapy because all of them need to go. Like he definitely Absolutely. needs it, but every one of them needs to go to therapy. For sure. <laughs> but I like that this is the condition of his pardon is that they have yeah. to keep checking on him to make sure that he's not going to, uh, as she put it, <laughs> <laughs> her doing like the little like psycho, the little like <laughs> so good, and I really dig this therapist. Like she's fantastic. Yeah, she's wonderful. I thought she was really funny and really earnest. I appreciated the background of like, oh no, like I was in the military too. Yeah. Like I've I've seen a lot of bad stuff, and I know that it's hard to come back from that. Like I I like that a lot no nonsense like just telling it like it is and you got yeah. i in my head canon i i think that it's steve who like took those five years between infinity war and endgame to set up that support group who was basically bucky like dude like you gotta go to therapy like yeah let me tell you how much this helps yeah so yeah. like i'm I was really happy with that. We find out that he spent his kind of time like trying to make amends, as he's called. Mm -hmm. He's got like the three conditional rules where it's yep. like, don't do anything illegal, don't harm anybody. <laughs> and then um... I am no longer the Winter Soldier. Yes. My name is James Bucky Barnes. And this is a part of my <laughs> the, the little like the address he has to give every single time. I loved it. I loved it. I can't wait for that to come back at the end when he like I don't know kills Zemo or something and he does that like <laughs> or doesn't kill Zemo or it doesn't so kill Zemo it has and to give that. that speech every time exactly it's it's very it's very setup of your buddy cop yes story like that's a very the lethal loose weapon cannon. kind of thing to do yes yeah. like this was just lethal weapon like Absolutely. in the best way possible in the Marvel universe <laughs> which is fantastic yeah which is um, great it's a great and just, idea and with less anti semites. Yeah, how about part that? Of the cast, which is fantastic. How about that? Yeah, think, which is great. Good idea. Um, and we find out that Bucky's also got a little friend. He's got uh, Yori Nakajima, who we come to find out. I thought initially when we saw him, I was like, "Oh, it's the dude from, um, from First Avenger," like the. Oh, oh I recognized very quickly. That's not not the same. Yeah, last name. Who's uh who uh Pat? Pat yes, Morita. Pat right? Morita, yes. Yeah, who whose descendant is the principal at Peter Parker's school. Love that. Still love and that. And they've made that clear that it's the descendant because it's played by the same actor, which is really so funny. Good. So good. Um, yeah, I just thought it was maybe like an old war buddy. And I was like, yeah. that's so cool. Like, mm -hmm. he did what Steve did. Like, he yeah. found an old war friend. Because like, he was talking great. about, like, nobody nobody makes it past 90. And I'm like, okay, yeah. so he's talking about all of his friends. But yeah. then we find out this is the dad of the guy that he killed. And that mm -hmm. broke me. I was like, <laughs> Oh, no. so I I love the friendship with the old man. Uh, the old man like setting him up on the date with the waitress yeah. at the place was really nice, and then Bucky just completely collapsing during that during, during that, that date. date. Like the by best her awkward about, like, awkward date. Like this is the same level as like yeah. when Zuko tries to go on that date and yes, in book three that was exactly what it was like. <laughs> one to one, so good. That was exactly what it was like. But yeah, and then he like he gets weighed down and he just yeah. he, he's going to go confess. And I'm like clenched like watching this. I'm like, "Oh no. Oh no." Yeah. But it's great. Do it. uh, oh man. Yeah. Just oh, that hit. That hit hard, hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I love that he has his little book of people 
that he has to make amends to, which is a nice mirror again to Steve Having and his little book soldier. of things to catch up on. Yeah. You know, like it's it's all tied together very nicely. And you can you tell know, like you even mentioned putting this together. Yeah. You could tell that there's a lot of care putting this in together. You you mentioned earlier, you know, like, oh, it'd be cool to think like, you know, Steve told Bucky like, hey, go to therapy because Steve had this support group, you know. But yeah. where did he get that from? He got that from Sam. Yeah. Because he spent that five years in the blip it's living like Sam cyclical. was when he met Sam. All three of them are so tied together. It's like a circle. And I think that's so interesting. It's like, exactly like, like a, a shield. Like they're the three different colors of the shield. <gasps> I think we just broke this wide open, guys. <laughs> that's it. We just broke the, that. That's it. We can just cut it here. Um, that's it. That, thank you for it. joining us. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for joining us. <laughs> but we still got like half an episode left to talk about. Yeah, and, Sam and um, his family. Yeah, Sam goes home. Sam goes down home to lose to Louisiana. He talked to mm -hmm. his sister. He's he's Uncle Sam. Which he's I Uncle love. Sam, which I love. I love that. That's so pretty good. good so good <laughs> that's just very easy but very good writing <laughs> yeah and you kind of get this this feeling like you know getting that family dynamic which again charisma for days anthony mackie can yeah. like sell anything but i loved like his sister and i love yeah, her kids i love it yeah really uh, felt like at apero adoye yes she's amazing like she was so good as a sister i love it yeah, and it felt like legit, like he was coming home to people, like somebody uh -huh. who shipped out with the military, and he was coming home for the first time in a while, and like, I loved that. I loved yeah. the dynamic, yeah. you know, they're also like, they're trying to fix up this boat, and they're trying to... It's the family boat. It's the family boat. You know, yeah, it's the family business, and you know, she she is ready to sell, and he's not. You know, which is which is a hard family thing. I really appreciated the family aspect of this for Sam. You, it, it gives him a lot of depth. For sure. Um, you know, I mean, the highs and lows of it. You know, he seems like a cool uncle, but at the same time, like, you know, they they go to the bank. He convinces his sister, like, hey, let's go to the bank. Let's like let's talk to them. We could get a loan for this. Like, we can keep the ship. We can keep the business. We keep the house. Like, let's do this. And they go, and you know, he has a nice rapport this with the guy bank made teller. My skin crawl. Like, uh, I'm yeah, sorry. the the guy's the worst. He's a creep. And you know, but Mackie's trying. You know, Sam's trying to play it. You know, yeah. like, hey, you know, it's it's crazy being an Avenger. You know. Uh, it's a lot like running a family business, which is what this is. You know, like Sam did all the research and the stuff. The way that he and they get that denied. I was like ace, ace. Transition. I I love that. I love that because I've been in those meetings. Same. <laughs> I've, I've been there where you're trying to like get so your point across. I, I loved that. Yeah, and then they ultimately like they get to yeah. the loan, and it's it's heartbreaking, and like yeah. it makes. Yeah. Like logistically, like on paper, it makes sense. Like all of the, like all these people, five years, like they have no income, like the blip and like all these people are just showing up wanting money. Like I get it. Yeah. But it makes it complete sense. And I love that we got to see a look at that again. I love yeah. every time they keep showing us a look at ramifications of the blip. One of the best you know, parts to... was that opening scene with Monica. That opening, that, yeah, from them to go from far from home where it's played for like comedy and laughs and like, oh man, the puny kid grew up to be hot. Like that's really weird to now here we are and oh God, like now it's a horror thing and now it's a, you know, financial thing of like, well, finances must be a mess right now. Like the 
market has a mess. Oh, yeah. Because now there's, you know, 3.5 billion people to pay for again. Yeah. <laughs> it's Not wild. Great. So I don't know. I, I love it. Not great. But yeah, great, great intro look to that stuff. I love it. Yeah. And then we round things out with, you know, them trying to figure out what they're going to do next when a uh, little little announcement comes on. They flip on the TV and uh, I'm just going to call him Del Rusk for right now um, is making this whole like presser on the on the steps (laughs) of some government building where he's just like, you know, Times are hard, and though we've got, you know, people protecting the world, we need someone who's looking out for America. And immediately, I'm just like, <laughs> red flag number one. And, or I uh, guess that would be number uh, two after the, uh, you've done the right thing. So the red flag number two. Uh-huh. And he's like, so I am proud to introduce the new Captain America. And I'm like, red flag three you're you're done here like this is and uh-huh. steps john walker u.s agent shield in uh-huh. hand and he has the audacity to <laughs> wink at the camera i would say the camera pull in on him and he gives the wink i died. oh baby <laughs> i died i'm like i love it i'm so ready for john walker to be the worst person like i'm ready uh-huh and it's going to uh-huh. be incredible. John Walker is such an interesting character for them to do stuff with right now. Absolutely. He is, especially given the political climate that we've had the last four years, oh he God, is the yeah. perfect person to see on in live action because he is very much a Captain America of the last regime. <laughs> he is very, very fitting for that. Uh, John Walker is a problematic character. I think he's super interesting. Um, but, but he's problematic boy, is he a for great all, like, villain. Uh, all the right reasons. Like he's problematic yeah. for the stuff he believes in, the stuff he represents, the way that he doles mm-hmm. out his, you know, his version of justice. Like justice, it is going to be yeah. great to see him run excited. up against Sam and Bucky. I'm very, very excited. So that kind of wraps up, you know, the first debut episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Any final thoughts on the show? Uh, I, I love that this was big action at the beginning and then just a lot of like character development and setup. I, so one of my biggest problems with the MCU is, uh, that there is a lot of, there's a lot of potential to tell more stories within these movies. Mm -hmm. And I would love for there to be like a comic that told like stories, you know, so that you get a little more of the characters and stuff. I've, I've been saying it since Endgame came out, like, give me a comic that takes place in that five year gap showing like oh here's the avengers trying to hold it together here's the avengers falling apart here's hawkeye becoming ronin you could have hawkeye go to start the thunderbolts as a vengeance team and then the thunderbolts fall apart and then he becomes ronin like you could do all these things this felt like the exact kind of comic that i want where it is like here it it felt like a perfect first issue of like you know where where we got the big action scene to hook people in and then it's just a lot of dramatic setup to set the table get you in the story and it's the most character that both of those characters have gotten since both of the leads have gotten since their debuts, yeah. like at all. Like this, this was incredible. I, I thought it was a great first episode. Not great. what I expected. Same. I was, I was not expecting them to go. Cause I mean, we watched all the trailers, all those kick-ass trailers. 
Um, and it great trailer. It promised a lot of bombast. Times. Agreed. Same. Yeah. And it promised a lot of like high octane action, which, granted, you do get at the beginning, but for them to kind of take but a step it. back. And like you said, yeah. give them like that room to like breathe. I loved it. Absolutely had a great time yeah. with it. And I'm really excited to see where the characters go from here. Like, yes, Sam is not going to be happy about this. And whenever Bucky finds out like what's no. going on, Bucky's not going to be happy either. And that's I, the thing. That's what's going to bring them together. Because I like that you don't even see them together. In yeah. Whatsoever. No, not at all. And that is clearly going to be the thing that brings them together is Bucky's going to come and be like, Sam, what the hell? <laughs> I was like, there. I, I, didn't I was it. in the I back swear, over here. I didn't mean for this. Like... I had the long hair and everything. Like, remember? <laughs> I was there. I was there, man. <laughs> like, what happened? So, what did yeah. you do? I'm, I'm so stoked. Yeah. For, Ready for more. For this first episode, I could not have been more pleased. Um, I think just like with WandaVision, yeah. like you said, they gave them... They gave two characters who needed more time so much time to get you invested in them. And mm -hmm. these next five episodes mm -hmm. are going to be a hell of a ride for sure. So it's going to be a great ride. I can't wait. Oh, yeah. So um, wrapping up here, Malcolm, if our listeners want to find you, find out what's going on with your neck of the woods, where could they find you? Uh, you could follow me at Captain Malcolm pretty much everywhere. C-A-P-N-M-A-L-C-O-L-M. Uh, if you like my voice and you want to hear my opinion on movies and if I may plug another show on please, this show. Please do. Uh, I am one of three, one of a triumvirate uh, in uh, podcasting with my brothers, Zach and Logan. Uh, we Shout do the On them. the Subject podcast. We are on the subject of whatever. Um, it's always movie stuff. Uh, I yeah, by the time you hear this, we might have uh be be about to record a Snyder Cut episode because since I watched it, I'm going to try and make wow. them watch it because it's it's an interesting. <laughs> like it, yeah, and I and I it's the, absolutely... it's the musical cue every time, every time, even if it's not actually on the score, but um, but every no, time. honestly, I could not recommend on the subject enough uh logan zach and malcolm do Thanks, such a great job like covering any kind of like film Thanks, that man. you think could be covered they've got a whole new spin for it so definitely check them out uh pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts if you found us you can find yeah. them so definitely give them yeah. the time of the day give them your listens and um pledge their patreon they've got good stuff cooking up on there i think mm. as thank you as we're recording this you've got a big old review on the first iron man up there too right yes 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 and more mcu ones coming we had a few guests lined up and then that's kind of fallen by the wayside and we're trying to figure out getting them again so it's taking a little bit but we got stuff coming so always always on the way i think zach also had a uh a list up there on his top uh mcu yes. fights Yes. Which I was very excited to listen to. A good list. A very good list, I would very say. Very good list. So, um, yeah, that is going to wrap it up for this week's weekly review. Tune in next week to uh, check out episode two. But for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. <laughs>
Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we take a look at this week's books, we've got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And I don't think you need to be kept in suspense. You know what it was. Nightwing number 78. Written by Tom Taylor. Art by Bruno Redondo. I absolutely loved this issue. Cover to cover. So freaking good. It's Nightwing again. It's Nightwing. It, And that feels so silly to say because I feel like Nightwing is one of those characters who should be really easy to get. But some reason... Uh, not many people do, and I think that this book really just brings us back to feeling like this is a Nightwing book again, and I really did enjoy that. Um, I do want to give a quick shout-out, though, to Superman Red and Blue number one. Um, I almost made that the pick. It was so good. There is... Oh my god, all of the stories were fantastic. I really dug them, and um, if you haven't picked it up, definitely go pick up that one as well. But those are last week's books. Let's talk about this week's books. This week's books, we've got five DC books for you this week. No Marvel picks on my end, but um, I'm pretty confident in the books that we're going to be talking about today. So let's go ahead and dive into the list. I'll be talking about each book's title, creative team, and synopsis. And of course, the synopses will get my synopsis voices. So we're going to kick things off with Batman White Knight Presents Harley Quinn number six. This is written by Katana Collins with R by Matteo Scalera. I believe this is the conclusion of this. Um, I've been really enjoying this series. I really dig the um, the expansion of anything having to do with the Batman White Knight's uh, world. I do think there are some liberties that this uh, that this miniseries may have taken with the lore of it that I'm not sure how I feel about, but I'll have to uh, just... Look at that later, because the uh, the story itself, I think, has been really good, and we've gotten a really nice new uh, Harley Quinn design um, blazing right on top of the uh, of the cover here. So really looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Book six. Gotham City's fate hangs in the balance in this conclusion to Harley Quinn's quest to catch a serial killer. Holly knew the risks when she agreed to help the GTO capture Gotham's most savage new criminals, and all her fears have come to pass. Her pursuit of Starlet and the producer has magnified the overwhelming responsibilities of motherhood and endangered her life and loved ones and forced her to revisit the most painful memories of her own criminal past. Now, on the eve of Starlet's final spectacular act at the Gotham Film Festival, the case has become personal. As Harley grieves a shocking personal loss, she prepares to risk everything to prove she can deliver on her commitments and bring the case to a close. With one final assist from Bruce, Harley heads to center stage for a showdown that will make or break Gotham's future and determine Harley's role within it. So yeah, a uh, big finale here. I've actually really dug the uh, the Starlet and the producer. I wish that we had gotten more time with them, but um, I'm looking forward to see how this all wraps up. Next up, we have Teen Titans Academy number one, written by Tim Sheridan with art by Rafa Sandoval. Been really looking forward to this. 
This is how we find out who Red X is. We're going to find out, you know, what's going on with this Teen Titans Academy, how everything kind of falls apart. Cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Welcome to Teen Titans Academy. Packed with both new, superpowered teens and numerous dark secrets, Teen Titans Academy's student body includes Shazam, a new Australian speedster, a trio of Gotham teen expatriates obsessed with Batman, and one member of this first class will become the Deadly Red X. Original new Teen Titans include Nightwing, Starfire, Raven, Cyborg, and Beast Boy take on the role of teachers and mentors for superpowered teens. Their goal to shape the next generation of heroes. So yeah, really looking forward to this. I think this is a great, I would say, um, balance with the Strange Academy book that's going on over at Marvel. I think if you're looking for some uh, all-ages reading, these are going to be the two books that you really want to check out. Next up, we have Action Comics number 1029, that's 1029, uh, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Phil Hester. We also have a backup written by Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad with art by Michael Avon Oming. So this is part two of... um, uh, the Golden Age. So this is continuing off of the last issue of Superman and is going to, I guess, tell the story of how maybe John Kent becomes the main Superman. I'm still cautiously optimistic about this. Um, I do have faith in Philip Kennedy Johnson's Superman. I really like the setup in the last Superman issue, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Golden Age, Part 2, slash Tales of Metropolis, Midnighter. As Superboy desperately tries to save Superman's life from the Leviathans of the Breach, Superman discovers the Breach's shocking origins. But with his powers mysteriously fading, he is utterly outmatched. Can Superboy change the course of history and save his father's life? Don't miss this prelude to DC's massive Superman event. Plus, in another all-new backup Tales of Metropolis story... Writers Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad join forces with Michael Avon Oming to continue the Midnighter story that Cloonan and Conrad started in DC Future State. But is the DC Universe ready for Trojan Industries? So, I will say I'm not super excited about this Tales of Metropolis. I liked the one with Bibbo. I'm again, I didn't really enjoy the Midnighter story in Future State, but Maybe they'll turn it around. Who knows? Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1034. This is written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Dan Mora and is accompanied by a backup by Joshua Williamson and Gleb Melnikov, continuing the Robin backup from uh, Batman. Uh, this is just, this is the first issue, I think, of a new Batman Detective Comics era with uh, Mariko Tamaki and Dan Mora, the team from DC Future State Dark Detective, taking up the reins and really running with it. So I am looking forward to this very much. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. DC Future State may be over, but the present looks tense. With the loss of his fortune and manor, the election of Mayor Nakano, and the growing anti-vigilante sentiment in Gotham, Bruce Wayne must rethink how to be Batman, or risk being left behind by his own city. To make matters worse, a catastrophic crime wave has taken hold of the city, culminating in a murder mystery that hits close to home. The suspects mount, the clues multiply, and the trail of bodies hasn't ended yet. 
Plus, in the second and concluding chapter of Demon or Detective, Damian Wayne meets a startling new faction from his family's checkered past. But what is the League of Lazarus? So I'm very interested in this. Uh, looking forward to seeing where they go with Batman's story from here, having him kind of back to bare bones when it comes to his crime fighting. And uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about the Damian Wayne story. Again, I've made my my position clear on this. I still think that uh, Tim Drake is the one that deserves a solo, not Damian, and him being posited as the greatest fighter in the DC Universe is laughable when Cassandra Kane is right there, but neither here nor there. We'll see what happens. But the big book of the week for me, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is Batman Superman number 16. This is written by Jean Lun Yang with art by Ivan Race. I am so excited about this book. You have no idea. Um, this is, again, a brand new Infinite Frontier era Batman v, Batman v Superman. I've got Snyder on the brain. Um, this is a brand new Infinite Frontier Batman Superman era. And it looks like this is going to be taking a different turn for uh, the Batman Superman title. Um, you know how much I love Jean Lun Yang as a writer. I really enjoy Ivan Race as an artist. And I can't wait to pick this book up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. In the aftermath of Dark Knight's death metal, catch a glimpse of brave new worlds within the DC Universe. But what are these strange planets? As we delve into the parallel lives of the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight, we'll meet new villains, new heroes, alternate realities, and a trans-dimensional collision that you will need to see to believe. It's the dastardly debut of a cadre of new villains, including the Spider Lady and her poisonous webs, Dr. Adam, who sports a kryptonite pendant, and the maniacal machinations of the Unknown Wizard. You've never seen Batman and Superman like this before, so buckle up and get ready for the start of a new era, courtesy of writer Jean Lun Yang and artist Ivan Race. So yeah, really excited about this. I love Honestly, just looking at the cover, seeing like old school, like 30s and 40s era costumes for Batman and Superman, the idea that perhaps maybe arc to arc or maybe even issue to issue, they're going to be jumping to different multiverse worlds really excites me. I'm super into this concept and I can't wait to pick this book up. So that does it for this week's comics countdown, a shorter, a shorter comics countdown, I would say than uh, we've had in a long while. So let's go ahead and recap here. First off, we have Batman White Knight presents Harley Quinn number six, Teen Titans Academy number one, Action Comics number 1029, Detective Comics number 1034, and Batman Superman number 16. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geek Explain podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. Uh, subscriptions, ratings, reviews really help me out, really helps the podcast out, kind of raises our stock in the podcasting space and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and I would love to have you on board as we go on this crazy ride. Also, 
If you do give us a five-star rating and review on Apple iTunes, uh, or Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. Just like our good friend, that guy 212121X, <laughs> that is a mouthful. But thankfully, I'm pretty sure I know where this one is coming from, um, who wrote in with his review which is entitled, Listening to this podcast always feels like I'm chatting with a good friend. It's always a great day when I can find such a positive voice in the world of geekdom. Eric creates such a welcoming space with his podcast that sometimes I even find myself responding to his points out loud when I'm alone because it feels like I'm having a nice conversation with a good friend. Uh, he deserves the praise for all the hard work he puts into this podcast to make it special and as great as it can be every single week. I'm only a recent convert to listening, but I'm now a regular and I don't see myself going anywhere anytime soon. Thank you very much for that review, Brian. Um, I am uh, just super humbled and grateful for you writing that in. Uh, one of my favorite things when I first started listening to podcasts is that I really keyed into the ones that I felt like I was having a conversation with. Um, it really made just because I didn't have a whole lot of uh, people out here in LA that I could talk to about like this kind of geek comic stuff and getting to listen to podcasts that talked about that kind of stuff allowed me to almost have those kind of like conversations. So I'm glad that I could do that for you, Brian. Brian officially joins the likes of Don Swanson. Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Seafire ND, Burrito Man 88, Josh from Panels to Pixels, and Matt Draper, my Magnificent Seven. I only had to uh, have my Sensational Six for one week, but I am very excited to have my Magnificent Seven among us. Thank you very much for the reviews to all of you who have already done so, and I can't wait to hear more. Also, if you want to be a part of our Geeksplained mailbag, you can write emails to me. Write your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read them here live on the podcast. I've got two pieces of mailbag that I want to quickly get through. Uh, first off, coming from uh, Brian Rahal. I am so sorry if I mispronounce your name. Uh, I'm sure you know listening to this podcast. I am terrible with pronouncing names. So if um, if I pronounced it wrong, I apologize. And please let me know how to pronounce it correctly. Uh, he writes in with uh, something about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, you already heard the conversation that Malcolm and I had about it. So I'm very excited to talk about this. I'm going to read through his letter right now here. So he says, after watching the premiere of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I had a question come to mind that I believe could lead to some interesting discussions and also had their place on your podcast due to its relation to the nerdy media we all love. I can always get behind that. Along with learning a bit more about Sam's background and getting teases as to why he left home to join the military, we are also introduced in this episode to Joaquin Torres, who serves as Sam's apparent military liaison slash partner in crime slash Avengers fanboy. I mean, in, I mean that in a loving manner. 
However, this version of Joaquin seems to differ greatly than in the comics. In the 616, he is a young man who works to help ensure the safety of those wishing to cross the Mexican-American border by leaving them supplies. However, in the MCU, we see him as just another member of the U.S. military. Now, as many know, Joaquin becomes the new Falcon to Sam's Captain America in the comics, and I'm sure we are shaping up to possibly have that happen in the MCU with this version too. What I'm not as huge a fan of is the making of Joaquin into a member of the military and seemingly doing away with his comics-related background. This is not to say I have a problem with the military background of the character, as I'll acknowledge that we basically know nothing about him since this is the first episode, and he very well could still have that background, and we just not know it yet. What I dislike more is what seems like the near-constant reliance of the military to be the grounds to introduce characters in the MCU. I know this can be accounted for by way of the modern take of the MCU and its relation to the Ultimate Universe that way. His background in the comics is modern, so why not go that route and stick to it? As much as the members of the U.S. military are heroes and are perceived as, as such for all they do, what Joaquin was doing in the comics before becoming the new Falcon made him as much a hero. Again, I'm sure it makes storytelling sense in relation to the series that has already been written and made, but I just find it strange. Okay, I think it's time for my actual question. Here we go. Do you think we will see Marvel tell a story in the show that addresses how often we see members of minority communities find themselves joining the military? They have seemed to address it slightly with Sam and the inclusion of Joaquin in this way makes me think they might bring it up for him too, and maybe Sam and him will bond over that shared aspect and bring them closer as a team. There's always seemed to have a, been a close relation with the MCU and the American military, and I know that many people find this distasteful. Recently, I believe I've become one of these people. This isn't to say I'm anti-military, as I'm not due to my own background, profession, and beliefs. My high school had a JROTC program, mine too, and I even participated in the program at the military college I attended. Full disclosure, I'm a white male, so I know my takes on the matter only go so far and are only worth so much. Something I'm fine with and recognize, but also realize the importance of having informed opinions. It seems like they have the chance to tell an interesting story that comments on that aspect of society in an interesting way. Does the military have too much of a presence in media and real life, such as the schools that have a high minority population? Does this lead to the reason why we see characters who feel like they saw the military as the only way to get out of bad situations? The term I'm most familiar with is the poverty draft. Again, we don't know the specifics yet, but from what I've seen and based on my own experiences with the subject, it seems to be the route we're going. What are your thoughts on the topic? If anything that Marvel has created for the MCU in recent years has the potential to address these topics, I believe it is this one. I'm excited to see where the rest of the show goes and if it delivers on what it seems to be setting up. Thank you for taking the time to read my question. I love the show and I'm glad I found it. Every time I listen is like having a fun conversation with a good friend and I appreciate that greatly. Take care and be well. Thank you very much, Brian. Um, I really, honestly, I really do appreciate anyone who writes into the show i do read all of these and i try to respond to them through this podcast as best that i can brian has a loaded question <laughs> um i want to pick out a couple key things here um first off uh as we talked about in the weekly review segment for this um for this episode uh walking torres is in is in this show, and he is going to be someone going forward, I think. Um, the fact that he is introduced right away and we are given kind of a connection between him and Sam is not an accident. Also, the fact that he does become Falcon in the comics when Sam becomes Cap, I think is important. Because as we know, we don't, you know, it's never been confirmed or announced yet, but Young Avengers is on the horizon, slash champion, slash whatever they're going to end up calling it. Uh, we've already got 
characters that can fit the bill there we've got characters like cassie lang who's going to be stature we've got wiccan and speed who can potentially join the team um and we've got more on the way miss marvel and so i think they're slowly building these out as we go along to build towards that kind of young avengers team the thing about this is and i absolutely agree with brian is that they didn't need to tweak joaquin's backstory for this I think that um, his comics background, where he is essentially a Samaritan, leaving supplies for refugees crossing the border, people trying to make a better life for themselves, uh, is very relevant now, especially with the political turmoil that's been going on for the last forever. Um, And I think that taking that and kind of putting it to the side to add him to, as Brian put it here, uh, the growing and constant relationship between the MCU and the military. I mean, Iron Man 1, the thing that starts this whole uh, this whole universe off, starts with a shot of military Humvees. So it's like, it's been there from the, from the beginning. Um, I do think that there will be some comments. We are going to get more walking backstory and hopefully they don't abandon that that aspect of him you know trying to help his community and hopefully that they do feed into that with his character i am familiar with the term of the poverty draft basically it's the idea that um, poor communities or communities that don't have as many benefits as other i'm trying to find a really you know eloquent way of saying this um mostly poor ethnic communities oftentimes find themselves having to resort to joining the military because they don't have a way out of whatever situation they're in. You know, that was essentially, you know, among other reasons, uh, one of the reasons that I am a military brat because my dad came over from the Philippines and the uh, military was something that he could join up and become part of and having this be a running commentary not just in the mcu but hopefully in this show i think could be something really fascinating something that we haven't talked about yet when it comes to the mcu we haven't had that conversation and something and a character that i think will hopefully fingers crossed feed into that conversation is eli bradley we know eli's coming onto this show he's going to become patriot he's going again hopefully with the whole young avengers thing but him essentially being that younger uh sam analog i think will help to start that conversation if not get those um get those gears turning i think it's an important conversation to have i think it's something that this as brian said um this show falcon and winter soldier has the biggest potential to address these topics and talk about why this happens so often and i hope they do i genuinely hope they do um but Time will tell. We'll just have to see. Um, And then we also have a mailbag question from Michael Cox. Thank you, Michael, for writing in. Um, This is going to be a different kind of uh, conversation. I'm going to let you know that this is going to get um, fairly real world. So if you aren't interested in my opinions uh, outside of the world of geek space, uh, feel free to click off now. But um, this is an important um, an important thing to address, so I do want to talk about it. So uh, Michael Cox sends in this uh, 
this email. It says, Hey, Eric, first off, or first of all, I want to check in and see how you're doing after a domestic terrorist attacked women of the AAPI in Georgia this past week. I can only imagine the amount of anger and heartbreak you and those in your community are going through. On Thursday after this event, noted comic artist Ethan Van Skyver took his Comics Gate hate speech to YouTube to make beyond deplorable racist quote-unquote jokes that nobody should have to hear and I do not recommend searching for because they'll just raise your blood pressure. This brings me to my question. EVS has been part of the comics industry for a long time. He's co-created some of my favorite characters, such as Green Lantern Jessica Cruz. I'm having a hard time separating the character slash art he's contributed to with the man himself. How do you separate the art from an abhorrent artist? As always, love the podcast. Hope your four will be great. Mike. First off, Michael, thank you for sending this through. I appreciate um, you sending this through and checking on me. Um, if you aren't aware, if you're a recent transplant to the uh, podcast, I am uh, part of the Asian American community. Um, as I just mentioned, I think, in the last uh, last email, um, my dad came here from the Philippines. I um, am proudly half Filipino and part, proudly part of the Asian American and AAPI community. Um, and the attacks last week hurt a lot um it was it's not something that um and this is going to sound terrible and i realize it's going to sound terrible when i say this um it's not something that shocked me as much as it was something that as uh mike so eloquently put it here um it is a just deplorable thing that happened um, as someone who has had that Asian upbringing, I have dealt with stuff like that in my life, not anywhere near the level of what happened in Georgia this past week, but, um, you know, racism is alive and well, um, it just, it, it happens, unfortunately. And, uh, this past week was very difficult. I found myself, um, checking in and being checked in on by members of my family, um, and if anything, if any kind of positive can come out of this for any reason, it is that it opened the door for us to check in on each other and have frank conversations that um, we don't always get the opportunity uh, to have. I will say that I did against uh, Mike's wishes and against my better judgment, I did go and um, check out this video that EVS put out, and um, just as he said, it was terrible. Terrible views from a terrible person. And though I will say, um, I think we might be in the clear here for uh, Jessica Cruz, because I believe Jessica Cruz was uh, created by Jeff Johns and Ivan Race. Um, take that as you will. Jeff Johns has had his own issues as well. But um, Ethan Van Skyver can't quite claim um, creation of that character, I don't think. I might be wrong. I don't think I am. But either way, um, something I've noticed in recent years, and I've talked about it on this podcast, is um, this growing... Uh, this growing movement of comics creators that I really respected being outed as terrible people. Uh, not that I really ever had a huge amount of respect for Ethan Van Skyver. I kind of knew what he was by the time that I really knew who he was, um, which is terrible. But um, a creator like Jeff Loeb, I've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, I was a huge fan of Jeff Loeb's work. He has put out some of the uh, some of my favorites. Uh, comic books of all time and when I go back to them reading them now it is hard because Jeff Loeb 
for those of you who aren't aware, uh, in recent years has been outed as having a very terrible view towards Asian American people. Um, he, I think, famously or infamously, you know, cut a lot of the Asian characters from uh, Daredevil after he made from hearsay from basically made the comment that, you know, people don't care about Asian people and or people don't want to watch or viewers don't want to watch Asian people or something stupid like that. Um, and that hurt me a lot because, as I said before, I was a huge Jeff Loeb fan and finding out that just it didn't matter who I was, um, he had that view towards me hurt a lot. And there are comics creators out there who have some really terrible, terrible uh, worldviews, and it does taint the uh, enjoyment that you can have from specific pieces of media that they produce. The only thing that I can say, and this is of course going to, you know, your mileage may vary on this, your mileage will vary on this, um, is I try my best to look at the piece of art outside of the creator. Um, one thing that, for example, uh, Spider-Man Blue is one of my favorite, if not my favorite Spider-Man stories of all time. And Jeff Loeb wrote that story. But Jeff Loeb also worked with Tim Sale. And Tim Sale, as far as I know, as of this recording, we'll see how well this ages, um, is a wonderful person who has not expressed any kind of hate towards uh, myself or people in my community. And I try to distance myself from the creator itself and try to enjoy the story for what it is. Um, and I think at least for me, because I'm also, I'm working on something. I don't want to, um, I don't want to make this like a, hey, look at the stuff I'm plugging. But um, but I am working on something that I've had a passion for for a really long time. Um, I don't want to give a whole lot of details out because, again, this is not what it's about. But it does involve Spider-Man Blue, and um, I am kind of taking the story and uh, bringing it to my own enjoyment. Um, and this is going to, again, how you deal with it is not necessarily how I'm going to deal with it, which is not necessarily how anyone else is going to deal with it. But when you look at certain things that involve creators that are kind of terrible, um, you have to make the judgment call. It is on you. Um, how you decide to take the piece of art, if it taints your viewpoint of it, that's fine because you are able to make that distinction. You are able to make your enjoyment not dependent on the worldview or the um, terrible prejudices of other people. And I think that art, again, is subjective. It always has been. It always will be. And your enjoyment will come from your experiences, your story, your history, and your viewpoint. And... When it comes to characters and stories and projects that involve terrible people, don't try and um, equate one terrible person with an entire piece of art. Because with very rare exceptions, um, it takes a village to make a comic book or a piece of art or whatever. And I don't believe that I would... I don't believe that I want to give any disservice to Tim Sale, to the many other people who were involved, the editors, um, the inkers, the 
um, letterers, everyone involved in making a story like Spider-Man Blue, I don't want their work to be ruined in my mind just because Jeff Loeb is a garbage person. So that is how I try and I guess justify it if that um, if that works for you that's great um, just remember that one person doesn't um, doesn't speak for everyone I think is the point that I'm trying to get around to so um, I hope I answered your question I hope that that makes sense um, it's a complicated subject it's a very touchy subject and there has been a lot of introspection for me over the past week trying to navigate my way through that uh, my own personal feelings and whatnot so um, yeah I hope that uh, answers your question, and thank you again so much. Thank you to Mike, thank you to Brian for writing in, and again, if you want to be part of the uh, Geeksplain mailbag, feel free to write in, write emails to geeksplain.gmail.com, put mailbag in the header, and I will read them here on the podcast. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed the uh, the shakeups that we did for this one a little bit, a little bit longer wrap-up, I think. You know, thankfully, I love answering uh emails i love getting reviews thank you so much keep them coming uh, i really do appreciate it. it warms my heart makes um very frustrating times so much easier you have no idea um also want to give a quick plug to our Into the Snyderverse series. As you know, the Snyder Cut released last week, this past Sunday. Uh, we took a, uh, a break because this past Sunday, we recorded the conclusion, the finale, our official Snyder Cut review. Uh, look for that this coming Sunday, the finale of Into the Spider... Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Snyderverse with uh, Chris and AJ. We had a ton of fun recording this, and I can't wait for you to listen. Uh, next week, we are jumping into a brand new month, jumping into April, so I am very excited to continue on with the content that I am uh, that I got in store for you. We've got some good stuff coming up, so I'm very, very excited. And with next week's episode, um, keep an eye out on Twitter. Keep an eye out on Twitter. If you do want to follow us, follow the podcast. Keep up to date with me. Keep up to date with the podcast. Uh, follow us at Geeksplain Pod. That's at Geeksplain P-O-D on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we put up polls to decide new episodes. We talk about all of the current stuff going on in uh, Geekdom. And I would love to connect with you on there. So uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. Next week is going to be a fun episode. I'm very much looking forward to it, and I'm very much looking forward to sharing it with you. So keep an eye out for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. As a child, you would wait and watch from far away. But you always knew that you'd be the one that would quietly all play. And you, you'd lay awake and not escape. Of all the things that you would change
Yeah. <laughs>